Good morning. I'd like to echo what James stated in the opening. If you are starting back to school, you're coming back to campus, or you know, maybe you're traveling through, we are glad that you are here. This is a wonderful church family, and we'd love to get to know you better. Uh, we also like to extend a warm invitation to all of those who have been visiting regularly for the last you know, few weeks or months, and I uh, want to let you know, as we have the last few weeks, that we are trying to make accommodations for the growth that we've had, and we continue to do that, and uh, we'd remind you, if you would, to move in and move up and uh, help those who are seeking a seat. Um, we do have some things in the works, more parking. Um, we have done the two services thing a couple of times, and we're ready to do that again if we need to. We want to give you an opportunity to be here, to be comfortable, to worship God uh, with us. What is freedom? Any guesses? Many people think it's the ability to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. But that's not what true freedom is. True freedom, as one preacher has said, is the opportunity, the ability, and the desire to do that which will bring about the most joy 10,000 years from now. What do you think? Pretty good definition? In other words, freedom has four parts. Opportunity, ability, desire, and lasting joy. In order for there to be true freedom, you need all four of those aspects. Let's illustrate it this way. Let's say that for some odd reason you want to go skydiving. You want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane for whatever reason. And so you find a place in Dallas that will let you do that. You take instruction in the morning, and then in the afternoon you jump out of an airplane. And so you get up one Saturday morning very early, and you begin driving to Dallas, and you reach Weatherford, and it's a humongous traffic jam, like none you've ever seen before. It's such a big traffic jam that you're inching along one mile every 30 minutes you realize that you're not going to skydive, at least on, not on that day. And so what happens is you have the desire, but you don't have the opportunity, right? That's taken away from you. Consider another scenario. This time the interstate is clear. You make it to the skydiving place on time. You go up and there's a guy registering people. And he says, what's your name? You give him your name and he says, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. Did you register online? You say, no. And he says, well, we're full. And you beg and plead with the man, surely you can fit me in. Just squeeze me in anywhere. I want to skydive. And he says, I'm sorry, we're full. And so you say, well, what about next week? And he says, no, we're full then too. We're full for the next year. So was that freedom? I mean, in this case, desire and opportunity were not enough. You didn't have the ability to get trained, right? Consider another scenario. This time, the interstate is clear again. You make it there on time. You take the class. You get in the airplane. You get up to the proper altitude. The door opens. The light comes on, and it's your turn to jump. And you look out, and you see how far the ground is, and you decide, I'm not doing this. And the instructor says, no, you, you've got to go through with it. And you said, no, I, I don't want to. And he kicks you out of the airplane. <laughs> Was that freedom? I mean, at that point, you didn't have the desire, did you? You didn't want to do it. Or consider this scenario. You get up to the proper altitude. Everything, you know, the instruction, everything goes well. You get up to the proper altitude. The door opens. The light comes on. And it's time for you to jump. And you do. And you're hurtling towards the ground at 100 miles an hour. But that's okay. You have two parachutes. You have a main one and you have a reserve one. And you're, you're laughing. You're, you're enjoying yourself. And at the right altitude, you pull that first cord and the chute doesn't open. You pull the second one and the reserve doesn't open. 
you scream frantically, but no one can hear you, or they couldn't help you if they could. And with a thud, you hit the unforgiving earth. Was that freedom? Well, I mean, you had the freedom, but it led to your demise, didn't it? So when we talk about freedom, we're talking about four different aspects. We're talking about opportunity, ability, and desire, and the result being lasting joy. That's what true freedom is. You know, I I think so many times in our world, freedom is associated with doing whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, and that's about it. But the freedom that we often think and take for granted in our country is freedom to sin. Because oftentimes, the freedom to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it is associated with doing things that we shouldn't be doing, right? I can sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I can drink whatever I want to drink, smoke whatever I want, go wherever I want. It's often associated with sinful behavior. When it comes to freedom, it is the opportunity, the ability, and the desire to do that which will bring you lasting joy for eternity. We often say things like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I've got the perfect freedom because I'm my own boss. No, that's not true either. No one ever is their own boss. Everyone serves a master. And oftentimes, this kind of attitude and mentality is the attitude and mentality of one who thinks they have freedom just before they they make that thud and hit the unforgiving earth. Here's what Paul had to say in Galatians 5, 13 through 15. He said, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You know what the greatest enemy to freedom is? Freedom. A lot of times the greatest enemy to freedom is freedom. And here's something that we need to learn and something that Paul exposes, and that is liberty is not license. Christian freedom is not the freedom to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. It's not the freedom to sin at will with no consequences. The truly free person has transferred their allegiance. Again, no one is ever truly free. Everyone serves a master, every single person. You either serve Satan or you serve Jesus, but only one can give you true freedom. The master Jesus is one who asks us to surrender to God's will so that we can have the freedom to live a surrendered life as a bond slave, knowing that that will bring the most joy for all eternity. So we're transferring allegiance to one who can give us freedom, if that makes sense. You know, the gate to the Thompsonville Penitentiary is a gate that means freedom for those who are going outward. Leaving the prison, going through that gate means freedom, obviously, when you're going the opposite direction of coming in. And that was the case for Tommy Riley, a gentleman who was tried as an adult at 15 years of age for his participation in organized crime. He had done some horrible things and was sentenced to a very long prison term. But one day, after serving quite a bit of time in prison, they come and they say, you're going to be released. And he is confused. He doesn't know what's going on. One day, he's sitting incarcerated, thinking he's going to be there for many more years. The next day, somebody comes up and says, you're free. And so he walks to the gate of the Thompsonville Penitentiary, that gate that represented freedom going in an outward direction, and he sees two people standing there. One of them he recognized immediately. It was his girlfriend. 
She was waiting on him, and as soon as he walked through that gate, she grabbed him, she hugged him, she kissed him, and she said, come with me. We're going to have a party to celebrate you being released, and all your old buddies are going to be there. It'll be just like old times. Then he looks over and he sees another guy, a guy he doesn't quite recognize, but then he puts two and two together and realizes it's the judge who sentenced him. And the judge says, Tommy, I'm the one responsible for you leaving prison today. I want you to come with me, and I want you to work at an orphanage I'm starting for young boys. You can live with me. I'll take care of all of your expenses. I think you have a lot to offer in the way of teaching these young boys. And so Tommy Riley had a decision to make. He would have a whole lot more fun probably going with his girlfriend and living it up, but he also knew that that would probably land him right back in prison. He felt a debt of gratitude owed to the judge that got him released. And the judge was offering something that would be much more fulfilling in the long term. We were called to freedom. And we can use that freedom in a way that is immoral, or we can use that freedom in a way that glorifies God. What's interesting to note is the word indulge that Paul uses here is a military term, and it refers to like a base of operations like Dias Air Force Base. And so the word picture that Paul is painting here is that you are a base of operations and you're launching these, these bombs or these weapons of the flesh. You're launching this sin from your body. Of course, it should be noted that flesh here doesn't mean physical, literal flesh. Paul is speaking of the fallen nature that all of us are subject to because of the fall of man. This sinful nature is the environment that we live in. It's characterized as the type of life that is lived outside of Christ and away from God. We're surrounded by this sinful nature. Even as redeemed people of God, we're never truly exempt from it which is why we can never underestimate the flesh. We can never reach a point where we kick back and we relax and say, Satan's through with me, I'm too strong now. Because he's always got his weapons of mass destruction aimed directly at us. Paul was trying to get the Galatians to understand that they had been released from the bondage of sin, that Jesus had brought them life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness but don't use that freedom in a way that is immoral. Don't use it as a license to do whatever you want to do. Respect it. Honor it. Take care of it. Notice verse 1 of Galatians 5. He says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You know, apparently there were some Galatians some Christians in the church in Galatia who believed that where grace abounded, then we can continue to sin because grace is going to cover it, right? I keep sinning. Grace keeps covering me. I'm good. I can do whatever I want to do because I am truly free and God's going to cover me. This is what Paul is addressing here. He's trying to get them to stay out of the ditches. You ever do this? You'll be driving down the road and you're not paying attention like you should. Maybe you drop something in the floorboard and you're looking for it. Maybe you're looking at your phone, which you shouldn't be. And you look up and you realize you're heading straight for the ditch. And it's a tendency sometimes to do this and sling the wheel over the other direction, right? You panic, you get scared, and you overcorrect. 
But if you oversteer or you overcorrect, you're likely to end up in the other ditch. And that's what Paul's warning against. Stay out of this ditch, but don't overcorrect so much that you get in another ditch. This ditch that they were headed toward was being saved by the law. You're not saved by the law. You can't live the law perfectly, so you can't be saved by the law. But don't overcorrect and end up in the ditch of cheap grace where you think that God's just going to cover me no matter what I do. Don't oversteer here. Stay in the middle of the road and stay out of the ditches. Of course, Paul's also trying to get them to understand you need to keep moving in the proper direction as well. It's not enough to avoid the hazards. You need to keep moving to the proper destination, going in the proper direction. Reaching the destination requires the daily decision of choosing between the freedom to indulge the flesh and the freedom in Christ. And both of those choices involve the opportunity, the ability, and the desire, but only one of those choices is going to give you lasting joy. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, he says. Did you catch that last part? But in love or through love, serve one another. You know, I rather prefer it when someone gives me a better option after telling me what I can't do. You know, parents sometimes do this. If you'll be good, I'll give you ice cream later. Which is so unfair because my mom used to say, if you'll be good, I won't smack you up beside the head later. <laughs> but I rather like it when you give me a better option to what you tell me I can't do. And that's what Paul is doing here. Do not indulge the flesh. But he gives a better option. And the better option is what? To through love serve one another. It's interesting that that word serve or to serve in the Greek is the word doulos. And it means slave. Or to be a slave. And you think about that for a moment. Christ set us free from the slavery of sin to make us slaves to one another through the love of Christ. So... Instead of being masters with many servants, we are called to be servants with many masters. Christ didn't just remove the chains and save us from condemnation. He also unlocked us to a new life marked by holiness and love. And he makes this clear in verse 14 when he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Christ's love not only redeems us, it should control us as well. It should operate on our lives, and if the love of Christ controls us, then we love one another. We no longer seek to indulge the flesh, but we look for that better option. We no longer live exclusively for us. We, we live to please God, and what's one way that we do that? Through serving one another, right? God's law could not be kept perfectly. Atonement had to be made every single year. For the sins of the people. Christ changed that, of course. What role does the law play in the life of a Christian? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Galatians were striving to be saved by the law. Paul is trying to get them to understand the law in light of love. You might remember a passage we looked at just a few weeks ago in Romans 13. Starting in verse 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
Paul is teaching them not to ignore the law. He's teaching them to fulfill the law. And you fulfill it by loving one another. You cannot be saved by the law. However, that doesn't mean that the law had no purpose. It served its purpose. As an educator, as a teacher, it has exposed the severity of sin and the nature of God. Jesus came bringing a new word, a new covenant, one that was marked by love, one that is drenched in love. And I think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote passages like Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or Galatians 5.6, for in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. We've been reading through the New Testament this year and picking out passages to study in our His Word devotional. We're not through yet, but I I think you've probably noticed three things, a theme of three things that have been reiterated over and over again. If you're reading through the New Testament, if you've ever read through the New Testament, you see three things stand out and uh, that are reiterated over and over again, and they are Jesus, the gospel, and love. Over and over again, you see those, those, uh, those aspects brought forth. Brought to light, it's a thread that runs throughout the New Testament, right? Jesus, the gospel, and love. As a child of God, if you are not about, if you are not emphasizing Jesus, the gospel, and love, first and foremost, then you are not truly a disciple. If as a church family, we're not emphasizing Jesus, the gospel, and love, first and foremost, we are not truly a scriptural church. It is about these things, first and foremost, Jesus, the gospel, and love. You know, in my opinion, one of the most jarring sentences in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13, 3. It says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You think about that for a second. You can have the best of intentions. You can be a really nice person. You can be a really good person. You can sacrifice a lot. You can lay down your life, but if you have not love, you can still go to hell. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, you think about that. No matter what it is, no matter what agenda you're fighting for, you can go to hell fighting for the poor. You can go to hell fighting for the homeless. You can go to hell fighting for prayer in school. You can go to hell for fighting for the unborn. I don't care if you claim to be right-winger or you know, a, a social justice warrior, left-winger, whatever. You're all in the same boat without the love of Christ. So a balanced budget, social security, protecting the environment, I don't care what your agenda is. If you are not motivated by the love of Christ, it means nothing. That's pretty scary, isn't it? The Bible is much more than an agenda for activists. The Bible reflects God's agenda. And you know what that agenda is? It's love. It's the gospel. It's saving souls. All the division, all the hatred and the racism that we see in our culture today, it all relates back to sin. And what solves that? Only one thing truly. Jesus, the gospel, and love, right? we got to get to the heart of of the matter we've got to address the real issue and the real enemy and the real enemy is not potus it's not scotus it's not congress the real enemy is the devil it always has been always will be you got to fight the right enemy with the right tools jesus the gospel and love 
I've told you before that I, I spent a few years on the board for Pregnancy Resources here in Abilene. And Pregnancy Resources is a, is a nonprofit organization here that, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of stating it, they are the antithesis to Planned Parenthood. You know, they offer the same kind of services, uh, but their, their stance is obviously pro-life. And there are many times that young ladies come in and they are pregnant and they don't know what they're going to do. And we talked about this on a podcast recently, and, and hopefully you're watching the Dear Church podcast or listening to it every week. But, you know, Sam Dominguez, Jake Sledge, and uh, Holly uh, Orson from Pregnancy Resources joined me on the, that podcast. And Holly brought up something very, I, I think, that really magnified things for me that I really hadn't thought about it before. She said, these young ladies that come in, many people believe that they come in seeking an abortion because they want to make their life easier. And they need to be schooled on what it means to have an abortion and how that's wrong. Most of them come in, they know it's wrong. They feel trapped. Their boyfriend or their husband has said, I'm leaving you if you have this baby. Their sports career is over if they, if they have this baby. I mean, it's all kinds of things that they, they go through in their mind. They know it's wrong, but they feel like they don't have a choice. And so these ladies are there at Pregnancy Resources to help them through this decision-making process and to show them that there is something better by having this child, that this child deserves a shot at life. And they let them listen to the heartbeat and they, they do regular ultrasounds and they teach them classes about how to change diapers, how to feed them, all these different things. And I wish I could say that 100% of the time, these ladies change their mind, but not always. They have a pretty good changed mind rate, but they don't always change their minds. Some of these ladies go ahead with the abortion. And you know what Pregnancy Resources does? They wait for them to come back. Because a lot of times they do. A lot of times these ladies return because you know what our culture doesn't tell ladies, what Planned Parenthood won't tell them, is that there is so much guilt and so much grief associated with an abortion. That many times these ladies deal with grief for years on end because of the decision they made. They may be vacuuming their house one day and that suction noise reminds them of the procedure. The due date rolls around the day that their baby would have been born and it causes them, causes them severe trauma. And pregnancy resources is there to help them through that as well because while they didn't, while they didn't agree with their decision, they're a soul and they want to help them what if that young lady came in and from the very beginning, everyone circled around her and berated her and verbally abused her for even thinking about having an abortion? What if they didn't show Jesus the gospel and love afterwards? What hope does that person have? You see, we can be really strong and firm on certain things. And I'm not even saying we shouldn't be. In fact, we should. We should stand firm. Abortion's wrong. It's murder of the unborn. There's nothing right about it. But in the midst of picketing and shouting our displeasure, remember souls are involved. We can stand firmer than firm on homosexuality, but are we willing to sit there and love on one who is dealing with same-sex attraction? We can be firmer than firm on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, but are you willing to go and sit with that person whose marriage is in shambles and is wondering how they're even going to go on? I've known many Christians who stood for right things, but they did so absent of love. And that's truly sad. Because if you're not emphasizing Jesus, the love and gospel, 
First and foremost, what are you really doing? What are you really standing for? You know, sometimes we'll say things like, uh, well, they wouldn't be in this mess if they really loved God. Maybe. Maybe they love God just as much as you do and you're being a jerk about it. Maybe they need to hear the truth, but they don't need to hear it from you because you're not being very loving about it. You see, we get caught up in the world's values and we get caught up in fighting those values. And again, we need to use the means and the avenues we have to fight those things, I believe. But remember who you're really fighting here. That sinner is a victim, not an enemy. The Tasmanian devil population is dying off at an alarming rate. How's that for a segue? Yeah, the uh, Tasmanian devil population apparently is in peril. And the reason why is because many of them are suffering from what's called facial devil, facial tumor disease. Many of these Tasmanian devils are getting these tumors on their face that are cancerous, and it suffocates them or starves them to death, and they're dying off at a rather alarming rate. How is this cancer transmitted, Will? Apparently, this cancer cell is transmitted when the Tasmanian devils fight and bite one another. And as they bite one another, they're transferring this, this cancer cell to one another. It's unfortunate, but the Tasmanian devil is leading to its own demise. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think that's what he's getting at when he's talking to the Galatian brethren. In a sense, that's what's going on in Galatia. Paul says that they were, they were a cancer spreading through the congregation. They were nullifying the effects of Christ's atonement in their spiritual lives. They were being indebted in a way that was impossible to pay. They were causing Christians to fall from grace. They were hindering true obedience to God. They were destructive leaven. They were causing spiritual destruction. They were harmful to one another relationships. But perhaps the most graphic language is found in verse 15. Notice it again. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You know, it's okay. I say it's okay. We almost see it as okay if we bite and devour those outside of Christ. I mean, that's a given. That's going to happen, right? Because those people need it. No, I mean, that's really sad. What's even worse is when we bite and devour one another. When biting, devouring happens right here in the church. That's truly sad because there are certain things that should never happen at church, and that's one of them. We should never be like the Tasmanian devil where we bite and devour one another. I get the sense that Paul is kind of like that parent that's driving down the road, and his kids are in the back seat fighting. And he looks back and says, you better be quiet or I'm going to pull this car over. Paul's about to pull the car, Paul is about to pull the car over. He's about to get down to business, and he's about to say, look, you better stop. Quit fighting, quit biting, quit devouring one another, because Christian cannibalism is a horror like no other. You should not be biting and devouring yourselves. Christian cannibalism disrupts unity. It destroys the work of God. It takes the focus off of Jesus and the gospel. It sends the message that God loves you, but we hate each other. And it gives the devil reason to rejoice. And you know what? Meanwhile, the lost are still lost. Meanwhile, the lost are still lost. 
When all this biting and devouring is going on, when we think we're standing firmer than firm without love and Jesus and the gospel, the lost are still out there and we're missing it. Remember what you should be emphasizing. Don't be a Tasmanian devil, be a dolphin. It's a little hard to see here, but this is footage of a dolphin that is in duress. For whatever reason, maybe it was bitten by a shark or something, but this dolphin is clinging to life, and there are several other dolphins that are forming a life raft to keep the dolphin afloat, helping to administer first aid, if you will. Ten other dolphins show up later to take their place so that they can rest, and they form a life raft to help that dolphin get to safety and nurse him back to health. This is not unusual behavior. According to marine biologists, dolphins do this kind of thing all the time. They have been known to help drowning victims. They have been known to help shark attack victims. They've been known to assist whales and seals that were in duress. Marine biologists tell us that dolphins seem to have this innate empathy and compassion for not only their species, but for other marine life as well. Interesting, isn't it? So what have we learned today? Here's what I think we've learned, at least I hope we have. Liberty is not license. Christian freedom is not the right to do whatever we want. It's the power to do what we ought. Christ sees us, sets us free from the slavery of sin to make us slaves to one another through love and finally be a dolphin. That's what we've learned, right? Because dolphins are much cuter than Tasmanian devils anyway, right? Christian freedom is the opportunity, the ability, and the desire to do that which will bring about the most joy in eternity. Now, the opportunity has been afforded. The ability has been given, but the desire is up to you. I want to encourage you to live free by serving God and serving others. And if we can help you this morning, whether you need prayers to, to fight the good fight, maybe, uh, maybe you're struggling with something this morning that you need the prayers and support of this church family. Maybe you'd like to study the Bible with someone. Perhaps you're ready to begin a daily walk with God. This family is here to help you. This is, I believe, a family of dolphins that is willing to help you when you're in duress. Let us come now as we stand and as we sing.